Hey everybody, we are kicking off a new month and we want to announce the winner for last month. The winner for September is Superfan Jelana for guessing films about working. Congratulations, Jelana. You get to choose one of our films for next year. Remember, if you want to participate in this contest, simply email your guest to Christy at DodgeMediaProductions.com. Check out the show notes for this information. Throughout the month, you may guess as many times as you want. Winners receive a shout out in the next episode, a shout out on social media, your name on our website. At the end of the year, every guest will be entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Good luck, everybody. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts. So this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 138, and the film we are talking about for the second week of October is Arthur. We watched it on Max, so if you have a subscription to Max, you too can enjoy Arthur. We watched the 1981 Arthur. Did I say that already? Not yet, but there is a key difference. There is a key difference, so make sure you watch the earlier version. This one is directed by Steve Gordon, who also did Good Time Harry, which was a television show. And unfortunately, shortly after this movie came out, Mr. Gordon died at the age of 44 of heart failure in 1982. Oof, very, very young. Very young and such a bummer. So hopefully he felt the success of this film uh, to go out on. Well, that's looking on the bright side. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it was a big success, but we'll talk about that later. This movie stars Dudley Moore as Arthur Bach, Liza Minnelli, John Gilgood, Geraldine Fitzgerald, Jill Eikenberry, Ted Ross, and Barney Martin. The DP was Fred Schuler, who also did 1975's Dog Day Afternoon and 1982's The King of Comedy. The writer was also the director, Steve Gordon, and he did 27 episodes of a show called The Practice, but not the one we're familiar with. This one came out in 1976 and 77. Was it also a legal drama? I I know. I'm curious. Right. And then it says that in IMDb, it it says that he also did Arthur II in 1988. I'm not sure how he did that since he passed in 82. Well, you get the story credit for another one, but 88, if he was already deceased, yeah, would it be in the can? And then they... Or did he, did he write it? They just didn't make it until like... Yeah. But, but the one... Oh, there was Arthur too, and then the one in 2011 with Russell Brand. Yeah, that would be a story by credit so, because okay. they adapted the original. Okay, thank you for clearing that up because I didn't know how he did that from the grave. Yeah, that's tough. Well done, though. The synopsis for this film is alcoholic billionaire playboy Arthur Bach must marry a woman he does not love or he will be cut off from his $750 million fortune. But when Arthur falls in love with a poor waitress, he must decide if he wants to choose love or money. What would you choose? Well, why not go a third option? Both. (laughs) Spoiler alert. The tagline for this film is not, oh, I've got, let's see, four for you to choose from. Ooh, four taglines. Okay. Number one, not everyone who drinks is a poet. Some of us drink because we're not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even understand. Yeah, that. uh, yeah. Well, obviously they're not a poet. (laughs) All right, let's hope we get better. Number two, the most fun money can buy. The most fun money can buy. Uh, a little bit better, little bit. but it's kind of like um, that Richard Pryor film. 
Okay, I'm not hopeful for number three. Uh-oh. Don't you wish you were Arthur? Okay, that's a horrible tagline. Because if I'm seeing the tagline, I don't know who Arthur is. Why would I wish to be Arthur? Right? Okay, let's see if they pull it out for number all right, four. All right, number four. I race cars. I play tennis. I fondle women. But I have weekends off, and I am my own boss. Okay, I got to give the nod to that one because it's got I race cars. That's okay. The marketing team, like, was this over the holidays? Like, were they on <laughs> vacation? Yeah, yeah, this is what happens when you get people from community college instead of Ivy League schools. I guess. Wow. Okay, so I've got a, a little bit of trivia, and then I'm going to have you kick us off with your pickup line. Okay. So Steve Gordon originally wanted to cast George Siegel as the male lead of Arthur, but after the success of 10 in 1979, Dudley Moore replaced Siegel. And the movie actually, this movie was actually the second time that Moore replaced Siegel. Siegel was supposed to be in 10. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but was replaced. And apparently after the release of 10, Siegel was asked if he had seen the movie, and he allegedly replied with a finger gesture. Oh, he suggested that the person use first gear. Right. <laughs> or the movie should be called One, not Ten. <laughs> Look up there. Yeah, yeah. And then my other little bit of trivia is John Gilgood turned down the role of Hobson several times, finally accepting it only because the salary he was offered was too good to pass up. Yeah, that's what I felt like he was just negotiating. You know, I think he's read Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference. I think you're right. And it, it will prove well for Gilgood. I will give that little tease that will come up later in the episode. But for right now, kick us off with your pickup line. Bitterman, stop, stop, stop. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, that works pretty well because I believe Bitterman was the Gilgood character. No. Oh, no? No. Uh, Ho he was Hobson. Oh, Bitterman that's right. was the limo driver. Ah, the limo driver, correct. That was him asking uh, the limo driver to stop the car so that he could talk to the ladies of the night. Right. Uh, not Liza Minnelli's character, but other women of negotiable affection. Right. And it turns out Liza was not. In that profession, she was a waitress. Oh, that is correct. The line that I'm thinking of was not delivered to Liza at the restaurant. It was delivered to the other woman. Yes, but Liza wasn't in that scene either. No, she came later in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I just misremembered where that, that famous line yes. is. Okay. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. The, at the Plaza Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Dudley Moore did a lot of improv in this film and apparently cracked up the crew so much that sometimes 27 takes were needed to get a scene right. That's awesome because I thought he was very funny. So it's even more credit to Mr. Moore that he did that improv. And I believe, unfortunately, he's no longer with he's us. No longer with he's no longer with us. He had, I don't know if I have it here in my notes, but I apologize, Mr. Moore and his family, because I don't have it written down. But he had a terminal illness, but it wasn't it wasn't cancer. I, I feel like it was like an MS or. Oh, yeah. It was like a. It was very sad there at the end, but he was so quick-witted and so funny and the jokes still kind of hold up. Drinking affects decision-making. I agree, but I can't decide. <laughs> very good. <laughs> and then Susan says, Arthur, would you take my hand? And he says, don't you need it? No. No. He says, but that would only leave Maybe you with, with one. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I repeated that one many times in right. my Right. I think they years. also like... um. Like, uh, we have your table. Yes, but is anyone sitting at it? Yeah. 
<laughs> I love Hobson's sarcasm. Oh, I, yeah. I can't remember what Arthur said to him, but he, he just dryly says, I relish the thought. I, I also like he says something and, and Hobson says, I'll alert the media. Yes, yes. <laughs> he just is. He, he's over Arthur. Yes. He is not impressed by his millions. Right. And I think as someone who has worked as house staff. Yeah. After a while, you do kind of lose the allure and because it's just everything, and you know, becomes a job. Right, so they're kind of like a coworker, but kind of like a customer. So they're just a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so his father threatens to cut him off unless he marries Susan. This was a common theme in the 80s, kind of like people perilously possibly losing their millions. Yeah, and I find this, I mean, by the premise, by the bit. Yeah. But, but I find it a little bit wanting as a premise for a story because... If he is this kind of reckless, he would just say yes and and continue doing what he's doing. Yes. So the whole point of not marrying someone you're not in love with implies that you are a person with a strong backbone and upstanding character and those things. And we've established throughout the film to that point that he is none of those things. Do you think that that's why we have the scene where Susan's father is threatening like Death, basically. I mean, bodily harm at the least and and sudden death if if Arthur is not faithful to Susan. That that yeah, perhaps is setting up kind of the the, the peril, I guess you would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we get a little bit of a male gaze when he is in the department store shopping and he catches a glimpse of Yeah, Linda. Of Linda stealing the tie. And it, he's just captivated by this idea. Or I don't know if it's her chutzpah that he's... But he is just transfixed on her. I think because it's another person who's breaking the rules, right? So there's this recurring theme that he is a child. He needs to grow up. And yes. at one point, Uncle Peter says, Grow up, Arthur. You'd make a fine adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're supposed... To, and so I think... Like with a, a child, he'd be like, what? She just did that? She got away with that? So maybe that's it. And, but it also definitely could just be love at first sight, right? There is something. I just, I as I was watching it, I was like, oh, is this kind of the male gaze? And is it more about her behavior than her beauty? Even though Les is beautiful in this film. Yeah, nothing against Liza, but uh-uh. they established that the his previous companions were perhaps not the the, the the supermodel runway types. So he was less picky about maybe looks and more about personality. I think, yeah, he just was captivated by her. I think it's very funny when Arthur cancels the date and her father's like in the bathroom <laughs> yeah. just crying. I because, need a moment or whatever, yeah, yeah. Because he just saw the... The money going the money away, the gravy leaving. train. Hobson isn't feeling very well, which we get kind of a glimpse of maybe what's to come. And he's very sarcastic and almost like annoyed. You know, when like you're a parent, you don't feel good. And so normally you would have the patience to kind of say something nicely. But when you are ill or tired or whatever, you kind of are a little sarcastic and and snap Mm -hmm. a little bit. And so Hobson kind of does this when he suggests he could save money on prostitutes if he just stays with Linda. Like marries Susan, 
but then just dates Linda, like you're suggesting. Right. And Arthur's very offended by this because he's taking Linda a little bit more serious. And Hobson, of course, has no reason to think that he would take anything serious. Right. So he does go to Linda's house and he offers her $100,000. And I guess it's to be... I, I can't tell if it's just like a one-time gift. Hey, I met you and I think you're pretty cool and I'm really rich. So take this. Or if he is offering her much like Edward offered Vivian, you know, the penthouse and, and different things. Is he offering for her to be his side piece? I actually didn't read it that way at all. For me, it landed like he cared for her and he wanted to help her out and he had lots of money so he was just like oh here it's like let me buy you lunch let me buy your house and that's probably the way that people have treated him is his value to them is the money he offers so he's like i like you and i want to offer you this money that i have and she's morally offended and gives it back which makes her dad cry even more yeah yeah (laughs) i enjoy the part near the end when he i believe has just gone racing so he's wearing the gloves and hobson says take off your helmet and then he says take off your gloves and then he slaps him with the gloves (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he goes you spoiled little bastard (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's always good when uh, someone makes you give them the equipment they're going to beat you with (laughs) so hobson very much acts more paternal towards Arthur than even his own father. Yes. And there's a line later in the film where he says, my father died, so I stayed sober. Right. Yeah, he's talking to the guy in the bar. Yeah. Yeah. There were four different endings shot for this film. Um, Steve Gordon still hadn't figured out which one he wanted to use, you know, and was going to basically give himself options in editing. And a rough cut to which Dudley Moore objected gave more of a focus on Arthur and Hobson's relationship than Arthur and Linda's relationship. Was one of the four that Arthur and Linda went to a diner and it faded to black over a journey song? (laughs) Yeah, that one they said, no, 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 that's a horrible That's horrible. (laughs) No one should ever use that. So before moving on, was there anything that I missed in writing or cinematography that, that, or editing that you wanted to discuss? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, this this maybe goes to, to to Mr. Moore and not to Mr. Gordon, but the line I was referring to earlier, which I love is great, is he says, you're a hooker? I just thought I was doing great with you. Which is, uh, I think that's a very funny line. A lot of the, his drunk lines are great. You would see various clues throughout there. The writing was setting up that he was a child. So we see some of that is down to the sets, the way it's, they're built. He's got a train set. He's got like mm, a painting basketball. of a baseball player instead of, yeah, he's got various childish things, race mm-hmm, cars and mm-hmm. things. And that, that indicates, and so we see his behavior, right? There's the arc that he goes through uh, as, and there's even the line of dialogue I mentioned before, grow up, you would make a fine adult. So that's kind of the, the, the journey that he goes through. And you could argue perhaps that this is romantic comedy because it is the love for Linda that causes a transformation in him. Although perhaps it's also the death of Hobson. So it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I thought it was interesting that there was a shot early on when Arthur picks up the other lady of the night in the back of the limo. And I mean, yeah, it was 1982. They didn't light it. 
It was lit practically, whatever came through the windows. That was an interesting choice. Not exactly sure how you would light things in a car in 82, but I'm sure they had a way to do it. But that says to me it wasn't on a process truck. It was just actually being driven around. And there's a, a really fun three shot with Arthur and then Susan's father and then the moose in between is the third. <laughs> and from the department of Show Don't Tell, we know that Hobson didn't make it with the shot of his bed like made but un, unoccupied. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was good show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. I think, because if you think about it, Arthur's character, if you take out Dudley Moore's humor, right, he's not a likable guy. I mean, no. especially if, if you're putting it in the, in the framework of the 80s, right, where we've got all this achieve and the yuppies and upward mobility and you know, like work hard. Right. And, and you'll get where you need to go. And he's just, he comes from probably, you know, I mean, this type of a fortune seems like one of those families, the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, right. the, you know, generational money. He's done nothing to earn this money. But I remember not only liking it in this viewing, but when I was younger and watching it, it was, this was a funny movie. I mean, I remember a lot of the lines from this movie. And I think that if it wasn't for the charm of Dudley Moore, I don't think we would like Arthur. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I think this film can only work with Dudley Moore. It's one of those films that I, I just can't imagine working with any other actor. He made his role. And you brought up that he's basically the 1%, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, yeah, like you said, he doesn't work at anything. In fact, he kind of works at, at just blowing the fortune. So why would we like him? But he is a likable character. And right. I think that's because early on we see, even with the first uh, ladies that he picks up, that he does have a tender heart. He's like a decent fellow. I wondered if that's why they kind of made his room to look a little bit more childlike to make him less offensive because like oh he's just a giant kid he's not like i don't know it's interesting that we really didn't see i think but the one scene with his father where a lot of the movies of this era would go hard on the oh he was uh, ignored or neglected or the expectations were too high or all those things and it, we really never see that we just see the scene where he tells him that he's going to lose his money if he doesn't marry susan and it's interesting that the grandmother is the one who kind of, because the father, he doesn't come, like Susan's father is way more intimidating and scary right. than his own father. And maybe it's because this fortune was handed to him as well. And I find it fascinating that the matriarch, his grandmother, is the one who basically says, we don't know this. It's an, it's a cute reveal. She gets into her limo at the very end and she's saying, don't make a dumb move. Oh, cause does she tell, oh, I think she tells him like, I'll give you the money too. And he kind of is like, I don't need your money. Cause he's realized that right. he, he, but wants then he happiness. runs back, but then he goes back to talk to her and he, he doesn't share that with the audience or Linda right away. He mm -hmm. says, I told her we'd be over for dinner. And then and then he says, oh, and I took the money because I'm not stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> Durr. 
in the scene with, that you mentioned, the moose, a lighting technician was up on a ladder and laughed so hard at, at many of Dudley's takes that he fell off the ladder. <laughs> Whoops. During that moose scene that you were talking about, the character that is playing um, Susan's father, Stephen Elliott, he got so mad at all of his ad-libbing about the moose that when he says, will you forget about the moose for now? That's like him ad-libbing. It was real. And apparently you can tell by Dudley's reaction that it wasn't in the script. <laughs> so Arthur's theme was co-written by Christopher Cross, Burt Bacharach, Carol Bayer Sager, and Peter Allen, who was Liza Minnelli's ex-husband. Allen's only contribution to the song was its famous uh, lyric, When You Get Caught Between the Moon and New York City, The Best Thing You Can Do Is Fall In Love. And then he came up with this line while he was sitting on an airplane that was stuck in a holding pattern over New York City at night, waiting to land at JFK. And despite his minimal contributions, the other three songwriters insisted that Allen receive a songwriting credit, and he ended up winning the Academy Award for Best Song for just this small little contribution. But it is a great line of the song, so I think it's sweet that the three of them said, nah, you can be on the Work credit. smarter, not harder. Right? It's a great line when you think about it. It is, and it's it's um, iconic for the film. Yeah, it is. All right. Any any head trauma in this film? There's a little bit of head trauma. So, as we previously mentioned, Hobson slaps Arthur three times at the racetrack after Arthur feels sorry for himself. Uh, there's an implied head trauma when Susan's father punches Arthur off screen, but then it's no longer implied when he comes on screen and punches him. And finally, Arthur's grandmother slaps Susan's father to prevent a stabbing. Oof. <laughs> That's a funny scene. Uh, and a smoochie. We have a, a romance here. Do we get a smooch? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. We do. Arthur kisses Linda after the security guard confrontation early in the film. Nice. And before you do your driving review, at one point during the production, Eliza Minnelli was supposed to board a bus in front of Bergdorf's on 5th. When a real bus came along, she boarded it thinking <laughs> it was the movie bus. And not until she was halfway down the block did she realize her blender when she looked back and saw the whole crew cracking up. <laughs> and then uh, you mentioned the racetrack scene. And in that scene, uh, he, Arthur drives his car around the track, which was shot at Danbury Fair Race Arena in Connecticut. And the type of car that Arthur drove had never raced there. It was primarily for modified stock cars and was one of the Americans America one of America's greatest short tracks. Sadly, despite its great success, the land became too valuable and it gave way to a shopping mall. It was the eighties. They paved over the racetrack to make a shopping they mall. Paved, yeah. The Danbury Fair Race Arena closed on October twelfth, nineteen eighty one, shortly after this film was made. How about you for a driving review? Well, this is going to be the last thing, but I'll bring it up to the front. No one races a Porsche 924 on an oval. I mean, no that, that was the first thing that came up to me. The car didn't match at all. You knew. That's that's a road track car. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I'm sorry, I've never heard of it bumped you. anybody doing oval racing with that. Yeah, it did. Now, I guess you could argue that he's rich, so he could just rent the track and it was close by. But, I, uh, yeah, it definitely bumped me. There's a line early on where it says, I will ask you to Simonize my car. 
And I challenge anybody under the age of maybe 40 to to tell me what Simonite is. I don't think anybody even knows that anymore. Maybe I should offer uh, a prize for somebody who knows. One thing I noticed was his train set appears to include a scale model of his limo, which is a 56 Rolls-Royce Silver Wraith. And that says wealth and conservatism. In particular, you may have noticed the interior bud vases, as well as there is a tiny lantern on the roof above the windshield for no apparent reason. I don't know what that tiny lantern would do. It was a beautiful car. And I liked what hap- What do they call it when the back doors open? Like Yeah, the suicide doors. They call, yeah. it for, they call it a suicide door also? Well, we always do, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then he later on, he drives a red 37 Packard 120 convertible, which says he is so wealthy that he can drive an impractical car. Because, I mean, in New York, they do get weather. Right. right? right. So I will mention that One should not drive after drinking, but one most especially should not drive while drinking. No. Arthur is a very, very dangerous driver that way. Kids don't do that. Leave it to Bitterman. (laughs) Yes. And also, related to that, most people park adjacent to the curb, not over the curb. And this (laughs) is related to the drinking while driving part. So we really shouldn't use Arthur as a role model. No. All right, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Before we do, I'm going to tell you that that Bach family fortune of $750 million adjusted for today would be $2.1 billion. Is that enough to buy a social media platform? <laughs> it's enough to marry Susan and just date Linda. <laughs> <laughs> This was the fourth most popular movie at, in in U.S. and Canadian box offices in 1981, and the American Film Institute's 2000 list of the top 100 funniest American movies puts it at 53. This movie is funny, unlike 9 to 5. <laughs> So says you. This movie had a budget of $7 million in 1981, and it made $81.4 million worldwide. Adjusted for today, that would be like a film making $267.6 million. So it was a big, big, big hit in 1981. Did Dudley get points? I don't know that. You would hope so. On IMDb, it scores 6.9 out of 10. Critics love this movie at 86%, and audiences not so much, which is surprising considering the... That makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's 77% is what audiences gave it. And that just, yeah, doesn't make any sense to me either. It is an Orion Pictures film. It, it runs at an hour and 37 minutes. It's rated PG, and like you said, it's a rom-com. Like I alluded to before, it's good thing John Gilgood took this part because he won the Best Supporting Actor role. And Burt Bacharach, Carol Bayer Sager, Christopher Cross, and Peter Allen won the Oscar for Best Music, original song for Arthur's theme. Dudley Moore won the Golden Globe that year for Best Actor in a Motion Picture in a Comedy. And John Gilgood also won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. And it won a Golden Globe for the best song in a motion picture. It also won for best motion picture for best comedy or musical. And Steve Gordon won a Writers Guild Award. 
Is there anything else that you want to share about this film? Did you like watching it? I did. I did enjoy rewatching it. Yeah, it was good. It held up. I would recommend Arthur. I remember it being probably one of my top 10 in the 80s. Yeah, it was quite good. Yeah. I, I, I would also say you can probably skip the version with Russell Brand. Yes, I agree with that. Let's see. So that that's our second film for October. Next week, we are going to be talking about Night Shift. So you can watch that ahead of time. And then next Sunday, come back here and enjoy our conversation of Night Shift. But never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. 